0: Well, welcome to uh, GNCC Church. I'm Chuck Lee, Master with Team Faith. And, man, I think the weather has scared a bunch of people away, but that's all good. Um, you know, we're two or three are gathered, here we go. And uh, tonight is going to be a baptism night, so I'm really looking forward to it. It doesn't matter if it's raining a little bit, because some of us are going to get wet anyway. So, hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. It's been a hot day. It's kind of sapped the strength out of us. And I just pray that you will... Um, rejuvenate us right here in this moment give me the words to say share your spirit with us give us uh, give us your heart Lord just give us your ears to hear in Jesus name amen so like I said tonight will be a baptism service Uh, don't go over to the pond just yet I gotta preach first so don't get ahead of me here but uh, man this is gonna be it's beautiful people publicly showing their faith in Jesus Christ publicly showing that I am all in for Jesus But before we get there, I want to open up the Word of God. I want to talk about baptism uh, for a little bit. And to do so, we're going to open up maybe to an unusual book for some of you. We're going to go to the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, of all places, Leviticus, to talk about baptism. So, So here we go. Leviticus chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it put incense on it and offered profane fire before the lord which he had not commanded them so fire went out from the lord and devoured them and they died before the lord and moses said to aaron this is what the lord spoke saying by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy and before all the people i must be glorified so aaron held his peace now what does that have to do with baptism i mean blowing your mind yet like what is he? isn't this the Old Testament? This is why we camp out in the New Testament. New Testament is full of grace and mercy and love. The Old Testament man seems like that God is angry and that he's always calling down fire and judgment on people and, and it seems like uh, it seems like it seems like the Old Testament isn't really relevant like we need to unhitch from the Old Testament but I'll tell you what this passage that I just read, this is probably the most relevant passage of the Old Testament for our time today. And so I'll get into it just a little bit here. Let me read it again for you, a little bit slower here. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. You know who Aaron is. Aaron is the brother of Moses. Remember that Moses was commissioned by God to lead the people out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt, which is a beautiful picture of us being caught in our sin and slavery to sin. But God commissions Moses, says, Moses go and lead my people out of Egypt and Moses is like not me you got the wrong guy I can't even speak I stumble over my words God says okay you can take your brother Moses or your brother Aaron and he could be your spokesperson just go and do what I told you to do well as you read the story of Moses you find out that he kind of steps into that leadership role and he does become assertive he does lead the people of Israel out but Aaron is his right hand man as they get they come out of Egypt they go through the Red Sea off into the wilderness and uh, there in the, in the wilderness on their way to the promised land God kind of pauses the train for a minute and he establishes some boundaries and gives some instructions and he commissions Aaron to be a priest he calls Aaron by name matter of fact he calls Aaron and Aaron's four sons by name and says that they will be priests they will be very very important in this movement in Exodus chapter 28 God names Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar they probably sounded better in Hebrew because that's a handful right now. But these five, they're named as priests and they're given detailed instructions on how to build a tabernacle, which is a traveling church basically for God, how to build the altar, how to build the serving utensils, and everything that they need to do. They're given specific instructions for all of it. This is Aaron and his five sons are given these instructions. They're uh, They're told what animals that they need to use for sacrifices, what animals not to use. They're told what uh, the difference is between a sin offering and a peace offering, what to do for accidental sin. Somebody sins so they, does, they do something and they realize, oh, hey, that was actually breaking God's law. Now what do you do? The priests are given instructions for all that. It says, here's how many times you sprinkle the blood. Here's the animal that you sacrifice on the north side of the altar. I mean, everything is precise. It's detailed and no ambiguity. When God gives the law to Moses and the priestly duties to Aaron and his sons, now, I'll pause right there because we're talking about sacrifices like a sin offering and a peace offering and a burn offering and all these different sacrifices where animals are dying. Richard Dawkins is a, a renowned atheist and he goes around to college universities. He does these big speeches. And About 20 years ago, he wrote a book. And in that book, he called God a moral monster because, I mean, what's with all these sacrifices? All this blood and guts and gore. It's just icky. It's gross. So... <laughs> We need to, if you want to understand what the sacrifice is and what it means, we need to back the train even further up and go all the way to the beginning. Like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created everything. And you go through the six days of creation. It was good. Creates man and woman in his own image. It's not good until God gives Adam Eve. And then it's good. They're together. And they have community with God. They have relationship with God. And everything is perfect. As a matter of fact, there's only one opportunity to not be perfect. And God lays it out. He says, Adam, Eve, all of this is yours. You can have dominion over this whole beautiful earth. Everything's perfect. There's just one rule. Don't eat of that one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the question might be, well, why, if God didn't want them to eat of that tree, why did he put it there? Well, it's very simple. Because we were created for love. We were created to have community, to have a relationship with God. And you cannot have relationship. You can't have love without free will. You can't have free will without choice. That's why robots make a terrible pet. (laughs) I bought Trevor, my son, when he was like eight years old, I bought him a a robot dog for Christmas. And you're supposed to be able to train that thing how how to stop barking. The thing was way more annoying than it was worth. We finally took the batteries out of it and threw it in a corner. Robots make terrible pets. A few years ago, we got a cat, and we're not cat people. We wanted a dog, but I can't keep a dog alive because I'm always traveling. And so we settled for a cat. And I said, oh, it's a cat. Well, what do you know? The cat, out of its free will, it loves us. And it rubs on us, and it sits in our lap, and it purrs, and it cuddles, and snuggles. And we kind of like the cat. You know, that's how relationships work. There's a, there's a choice, there's free will there. And you can't have love without free will. You can't have free will without choice. And so God said, there's that one thing in the garden don't do that, and we are good. Of course, then what happens? Satan comes along and says, oh, is God holding out on you? Don't you know that you can be your own God? If you'll eat of that fruit, you'll be as wise as God. You get to be your God. You get to do it your way. Now, I love the Frank Sinatra song, My Way. Cool song. Great when you hear somebody sing karaoke and they do a great job with it, but it's a stupid song, really, because My Way ends in destruction it ends in broken relationships it ends in pain ends in death isn't that what God said if you eat of this you will surely die now Adam and Eve I don't get the impression that they took that to heart at that point they had no idea what death was It's like did he say that we would die yeah I don't know what that is okay wait it It doesn't matter if you don't understand what a term means that doesn't change the meaning of the term there's still a consequence. And so if you eat it you will surely die. They take a bite and what happens next it says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They didn't even know what lust was. What a wonderful world. They had no idea. There was just that one opportunity for sin and they took it. Their eyes were open and God comes down in the in the uh, in the evening and they hid from God. And god says adam where are you and he's like well i'm hiding over here why are you hiding did you eat that tree that i told you not to eat up like of course god knew he did but he's calling the man into account yes i ate of it you know you know how the story goes adam blamed Eve. he blamed the snake the snake didn't have a leg to stand on now you know where that came from right <laughs> so there's all this blame shifting but at the end of the day god says you know what i told you that there would be a consequence for this and you didn't give it a thought what is death you didn't give it a thought that doesn't change that death is going to be a real thing that you are going to experience. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he explains it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It was true then, and it's true now, that we are sinners, and we are going to die. Have you ever thought about Adam and Eve, if you eat this, you will surely die? They didn't die in that moment. Yes, they died, but they didn't die right then. Instead, something else died. You ever given thought to that? God says right here, he says, you know what? Hey, those big leaves that you are covering yourself with, they ain't doing much good. And so here's what Genesis says. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. An animal had to die in that exact moment. An animal died in order that something else may live. An animal died in order to make atonement, to make restitution for what Adam and Eve had done. It was blood was required to cover them, to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. There was blood requirement. Blood is what keeps us alive. Adam and Eve, death has entered into the world. And so blood is hugely hugely important. There was a time, this is the time actually, as God is addressing this original sin, this is the time that God makes that promise that the rest of history hinges on. is Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the rest of this right here is a story of how God held true to that promise. And how did he do it? Well, you read Genesis chapter 12, he comes to Abraham He says, Abraham, I'm going to keep my promise to mankind. I'm going to use you to do it. You're my guy. A promise, a three-part promise. You're going to be a father of a great nation with lots of people. Your own land, the whole world's going to be blessed through you. Abraham had a son who had two sons. One of those God renamed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. They go into captivity and slavery in Egypt. God raises up Moses and brings them out. And as they're coming out through the wilderness, as they're going to the promised land, the, the first part, lots of people that are headed for the second part of that promise, God pauses. And he gives them those instructions out there in the wilderness, specific, detailed, unambiguous. You can't mistake these 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 instructions right here. And this is what we read. It says that. Well, actually, I'm getting a little slightly ahead of myself because the sacrifices. As we talk about those sacrifices, you realize that God's not the moral monster that Richard Dawkins had talked about. As a matter of fact, God is full of grace and mercy. Because in this case with the sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrificial system, it's an, an animal who doesn't have a soul, gets to die in my place, to atone for my sin, to take the place, the blood that I should spill, an animal gets to spill it in my place. That's God's mercy, and it's His love, and it's His grace in action. And so now, the sacrifices were not to be taken, to be taken lightly. Matter of fact, they were supposed to impress on us the severity of our sin. We live in a culture today where our sin is not taken very seriously at all. Matter of fact, in our culture, we celebrate our sin. But God says that doesn't change what the definition is. The wages of sin is death. And these sacrifices, they bring it home that death is required. Something must die in order that something else may live. So that's where we find ourselves in the wilderness. I'll just pause as, as we go into Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. In this case right here, the word profane simply means unauthorized. It means strange or unauthorized. So they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Here's what he had commanded. Here's what God had commanded. we are reading it out of Leviticus chapter 10. If you back up four chapters to Leviticus chapter 6, God had commanded, the fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So Aaron and his four sons were to attend that fire 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The fire was never to go out. Once it was lit, the fire was never to go out. Now the next question is, how did the fire get lit? We've been studying and we've been reading in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1. If you back up, just the one verse, the last verse in chapter 9 tells us how that fire gets lit. Matter of fact, the whole verse or the whole chapter 9 is all about the consecration of the tabernacle. It's all about the dedication of the, the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the tabernacle. And they're told that, hey, we're going here's how we're gonna consecrate this tabernacle. And when we do, the glory of the Lord will descend on us. We're gonna see the glory of the Lord. And so now the last two verses of chapter 9 say this. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I bet they did. The fire of the Lord comes out and consumes those sacrifices. There's how the fire got lit. The next verse. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire on it and put incense in it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. The fire of the Lord is good or it's bad. depends on your perspective. But that's not the point. The point is, you don't get to come before God on your own terms. God had been very specific here. about here's how you're going to offer your sacrifices. Here's what you're gonna do. And they, for whatever reason, took it on themselves that, hey, we're gonna bring our fire to God on our way, on our terms, which is just bizarre. Because here you have a flamethrower of the spirit lighting up the the temple, or lighting up the tabernacle, lighting up that altar. And then Nadab and Abihu? I mean, what could they possibly bring? A birthday candle to the fire of God that's already been lit? For whatever reason, they decide that's how they're going to do it. They're going to approach God on their terms, on their way. Thing is, whatever you got, it don't compare. A little, a little candle compared to the fire of the Lord. But more importantly, you don't get to dictate to God your terms. That's why this story is so hugely important and relevant to our culture today. Because I hear it all the time. Number one. People don't seem to be too concerned about heaven and hell. They don't seem to be too concerned about death. Have you ever given thought to heaven? Hey, I, know, I don't think about it too much. It doesn't matter if you don't think about it too much. That doesn't change that it's real. That there's a destiny that awaits every single one of us. But I press in. Well, what about heaven? How do you get to heaven? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. I think God's going to be okay with me. Or how about you put in a good word for me, preacher? Uh... My granddaddy was a preacher. I went to church all my life. My dad was a preacher. My uncle, so-and-so. My mom prayed for me. All these things. Let me tell you, you don't get to come to God on your terms. There is only one way to come to God. You're going to experience the fire of the Lord one way or another. It's going to be good or it's going to be bad. Jesus himself talked more about hell than he did heaven. And Anytime he talked about hell, he always referenced it to Gehenna the trash dump that was burning in the Valley of Hinnom that's outside the walls of Jerusalem. You see, the fire of the Lord, in one sense, it's awe-inspiring and it's awesome and magnificent. In another sense, it is fearful and dreadful. The Leviticus chapter goes on. It says, They died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. In other words, in this situation, Aaron didn't push back. Yes, the Lord is holy. Yes, God told us how to come to him. And we come to him on his terms, not our own terms, because God indeed is holy. Fortunately, things are a little bit different for you and me today. Okay, we don't live under under Old Testament law. Matter of fact, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Fulfilled the third part of his promise to Abraham 2,000 years ago. The person of his very own son, Jesus Christ. Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation, people, land, blessing to the entire earth. Jesus came to this earth. He lived that perfect life that none of us could live. And he was the ultimate sacrifice. You see, we don't offer sacrifices today. We don't kill an animal. The animal doesn't take our place today. But there was blood that was spilled. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one that stretched his arms out and he was nailed to that cross. And he died that death that I deserve to die. See, when Jesus was starting his ministry, early on, the Sermon on the Mount, this is in Matthew chapter 5, says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to bring them to pass. Paul, some years later, he explained this in his letter to the people at Rome, Romans chapter 8, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, God requires perfection. and we can't bring Him perfection. That's why Jesus had to come and do it on our behalf. We started how? We chose, just like Adam and Eve, we actually chose through Adam and Eve to do it my way. And now we have nothing. We have nothing but a birthday candle to offer God. And it's not even required. You see, the thing with Nadab and Abihu, they didn't need to bring their little censer of fire and incense. The job was already done. All they had to do was rejoice in it. You and I, all we have to do is claim what's already been done by Jesus Christ on that cross. We can bring our our birthday candle, but you know what Isaiah said? He said our good works our good deeds are as valuable as filthy rags they don't amount to anything but a birthday candle up next to a flamethrower they don't count for anything the job is already done through jesus christ romans 5:8. god commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us he paid that penalty we deserve that eternal death, but Jesus did it for us. And we claim that just by admitting that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. It's that simple, and it's that hard. The hard part is that it requires humility. It requires me to say, I can't do it. And I give up my own way. And I accept Jesus as my Savior. Now, didn't I say this is a baptism service? And we went into Leviticus chapter 10, talked about some strange stuff, but it's relevant to make the point that we don't come to God on our own terms. Baptism is an outward sign of what Jesus has done within us. Baptism does not save us. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And in so doing, he has given us two things that we need, two observances that we need to follow. One of them is baptism. Baptism, this is pretty cool, was never referenced in the Old Testament, so going to the Old Testament to learn about baptism might have confused some people. But the point is, is that we come to God on His terms, not our terms. Baptism doesn't save us. As a matter of fact, our first, our first reference of baptism, we meet it in the New Testament with John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. Okay, he's the forerunner. He's the he's the prophesied forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's the one that's out there saying, "Hey, there's someone coming after me who's sandal. I'm not even worthy of the lace." and he was baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins. Being the forerunner of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, John was calling attention to the fact that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. And then he sees Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, says to John, Hey John, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, "Um, I'm baptizing for the forgiveness of sins. You're the one that ought to baptize me." And Jesus says, No, no, we need to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, we need to do what's right. And John's like, Okay. And baptizes Jesus. Which we don't really understand until you see that Jesus, right after his baptism, he's led out into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan himself. Satan comes down tempts Jesus. Jesus doesn't fall for it. perfectly resist temptation. That which we could do for ourselves, Jesus led by example. The baptism. That which we could not do for ourselves, Jesus did for us, perfectly resisting temptation. There's The other, the other uh, institution that we're commanded to observe is communion. Jesus took his bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. If you're not part of a home church, I strongly encourage you to to get tied in with some local believers where you can partake in communion. Where you can follow the Lord's example in communion and remember what He did for us with His broken body and His blood that He poured out on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to pay the eternal price. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity. We're in just a minute. We're going to go over to the cow pond. We've got lots of soap in there from the slip and slide. It's clean water, I promise. And we're gonna. I know that there's about uh, at least five people here that want to be baptized. So we're gonna have a little baptism service. But if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you that chance. So if you would just bow your head, close your eyes in this moment. If you've never taken Jesus as your Savior, you want to. It's this simple. You just pray, God. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for what you did when you sent Jesus to this earth thank you for your promise all the way back in Genesis following it up with Abraham thank you for the the reminder of sacrifice may we not take our sin lightly Lord just impress on us how much you love us and with what lengths you went through to rescue us Lord, be with those that are about to be baptized and just bless the rest of us, those that maybe are struggling with surrendering their life. Lord, just don't let them sleep. Don't let them rest until they make you their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus tonight, it'll be an open baptism. We've got people here that are going to be baptized, but if you want to, just jump on in there. I'll see you. We'll just go around the corner here to the pond, and I'll see you over there in a second.